We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 414. We are rolling on with our AL East previews. Today, I had the opportunity to talk with, I'm calling him a friend of the show at this point. This is year three of Arden Zwelling from Sportsnet Canada. Uh, Sportsnet Toronto covers the Blue Jays up in Toronto, has a podcast, covers them on TV, does radio, does the whole does the whole deal. Um we talked about everything with the Blue Jays. Really, we wanted to obviously get into the weeds of what's happening for the season, when it may come, if it may come, what the deal is with these young guys. Uh, you know, we obviously know them as really a thorn in our side. Some of the the young talent they have up there that has the the very very good prospects of being, you know, an extremely good team, a dangerous team that can that can get much better because of the talent level. They have some significant talent with Vlad Guerrero, Biggio and Bichette up there and uh, Arden you know kind of goes through the whole thing talks about the, uh, the the different aspects of the team pitching you know what we can look forward to when the Blue Jays do come around and uh, you know where where their weaknesses are and what they're looking at also some some good details of what happened with the Marcus Stroman fallout and why really that ended up being a trade that was inevitable had to happen um, and then obviously we get into some of the stuff that's going on currently with all of the uh, the isolation and the virus stuff and just kind of figuring uh, you know what the Blue Jays' perspective on all that is. Arden is uh, lives in Canada, so got a little bit more of a, a deep dive on what 
the Canadian government and, and what they're doing up in Canada. Obviously, everybody is quarantined at this point up there too. So um, yeah, really good conversation uh, with Arden. I always enjoy talking to him. So I hope you guys like the preview. But without further ado, here's Arden Zwelling, Sportsnet Toronto, with our preview of the Toronto Blue Jays. All right, guys, pandemic or no pandemic, we are progressing on through the AL East. Uh, I'm excited to introduce again, this is our third year in a row that we have Arden back on the show, but Arden's welling with Sportsnet, uh, covers the Blue Jays up in Toronto. Arden, thanks for coming on, man. How's, uh, how's, how are things going? Hey, man, happy to be back. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's good to talk about baseball at a time like this. Uh, for me personally, I am in self-isolation. Having gotten back from uh, spring training in Florida a little less than, than a week ago as we record this. So I guess there's my 14-day sentence here, which uh, I, I certainly don't mind doing. And in today's world, you know, look at me. I'm here talking to you guys on the podcast. <laughs> like at Sportsnet, we've been pumping out content, getting people on the phone and doing our own podcast and writing and, and continuing uh, business as usual. But it's it's an interesting time for sure. Yeah, no doubt. So when you guys uh, go back into the country, is that kind? Is that a uh, a Canada thing where they're, they're requesting or they're essentially mandating a fourteen day isolation period? Is that is that the because you're going over borders? Yeah, it, so it kind of depends when you've returned. Right. <laughs> like I got back a you know a week ago when it was basically it was a recommendation. They weren't you know instituting it. Yeah. Um, and I, I believe now you know you have. Do it, but when I came back, it was just something that was recommended, and you know I figured like it was just the smart thing to do, and sure. it was the best way to be a good citizen. And uh, you know I certainly wasn't going to be uh, going out into any public places or going to work or, or anything like that. Just you know, it, it, you even think about how quickly this thing changes, right? How quickly our understanding of it is. Like if we were talking two weeks ago, and you brought up you know the the terms flattening the curve or social distancing or self-isolation or any of this, I would have been like, what are you talking about? And now I understand all that stuff, you know, really well as we all do. So, you know, our understanding of it keeps kind of progressing. So it depends when you got back. For me, I got back a week ago and yeah, it was just something I personally uh, wanted to do. Just, you know, I just think it's smart and the right thing to do. But now certainly anybody who's entering the country, I think you have to go into a 14 day quarantine. Yeah, I mean, I think you got you. You probably had some foresight looking at this uh, a week ago Wednesday because really Thursday, Thursday is when everything hit. I guess NBA shut down last Wednesday, so that kind of started the uh, the trickle down effect, and you could see the writing on the wall. But yeah, I was telling you before we started recording that we have, uh, you know, we had a big event over the weekend uh, last weekend that we had to cancel because of all of this stuff too. But man, did it did it happen fast? Like as soon as the NBA, as soon as we saw the. Um, the Utah Jazz start, you know, going down with a couple of uh, of these cases. Like the the pressure from everybody to to you know lay off of all these big events was uh, was immense, and, and you just saw all the big organizations, you know, taking uh, taking the all of this news extremely seriously and, and kind of following suit. So it happened pretty pretty quickly. Yeah, it's wild, man. But I, I think that if we can learn anything from the experience of other countries that have been through this, mm-hmm. you know, kind of on the other side of the globe who who had their outbreaks a lot sooner, it's that proactive measures can be really impactful. And sure. it's that you have to work ahead of it. Because if you get behind it and you start having hospital beds filling up and there's pressure on your healthcare system and, and you've got healthcare workers working overtime and getting sick themselves and being fatigued and, and your stress in your economy. 
I mean, that's when this thing can really, you know, spin into disasters. You know, it, like it's interesting to hear people saying, you know, like the, the best case scenario is that we're all overreacting. Right. right. And we were all like, oh, we did, you know, we didn't need to do any of this stuff. But sure. like the worst case scenario is so catastrophic that you have to overreact and you have to try to work ahead of it and be proactive. So, you know, I, I know that's what we're, you know, doing basically across Canada right now, like where I live in Toronto. The city's basically shut down, you know, public transit's empty, there's nobody's at bars and restaurants, um, you know, there's there's no public gatherings. You know, I would I don't know how many people across the city are working from home, but I know certainly the, the majority of, of my company, Rogers, is is working from home. Um, you know, these are steps that that you have to take in order to try to, uh, you know, like I said, some of these terms we've learned, uh, flatten the curve and get ahead of this thing. So talking about the Blue Jays specifically, um, they down in Dunedin, did you guys have or is some of the teams staying down there? I know some of the Yankees initially, you know, really before they announced the the long term periods of, of, you know, when uh, when groups are going to be allowed. I know a lot of the Yankees were going to be staying around the Tampa area since then. Some guys have decided to go back to their family completely, understandably. But um, how are the core of the Blue Jays handling? Are they sticking close by or have they gone back to their homes? How, how's the uh Toronto organization handling it? It's similarly kind of a, a mix. And, uh, you know, it's, I think it's kind of developing as we go here. And, you know, like you said, players have three options. They can, they can stay at the spring training home, you know, facility there, or they could stay in Dunedin basically and, and check in at the facility and use some of the, uh, some of the facilities there, or they can travel to Toronto um, or they can go home. And I think that you've seen, uh, you know, guys kind of, taking different routes. Um, you know, most guys just kind of waiting to see how this thing develops. Like I kind of feel like we're heading toward the point where players are going to have to be sent home, um, you know, or, you know, where they're going to have to close the, the spring training facility and you know, they're not going to have these, you know, these people coming in and, and being around each other. But uh, this thing develops uh, so quickly here and you know, kind of unique challenge for the Blue Jays is, they've got a kind of an international bunch, right? You know, Hunjin Ryu is the ace of the pitching staff. He's Korean. Shun Yamaguchi is Japanese. He's on this team. You know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s off-season home would, would be in the, the Dominican. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Teoscar Hernandez. Um, you know, they got a Canadian in Jordan Romano. So it's, it's an international group. So it's, uh, you know, you're dealing with a lot of different things here when we're looking at some of the travel restrictions that have been put in place and, you know, the different rules we're seeing in different countries and even just the different spread of, of the pandemic in different countries. So, you know, everybody has their own decision to make. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah. So kind of talking about that before we get into the Blue Jays on the field, because um, we're definitely going to talk about that. I think there's a lot of interesting storylines that are around um, Toronto, just with the young players that they have. But just to, I'm interested on in your opinion about Major League Baseball in general and how you think. Like, let's just say, for conversation's sake, that you know we're looking at mid June, early July as a as a time where Major League Baseball says, okay, we're going to come back. You know, whether it's with just players on the field and no fans, or you know, maybe uh, if you know, extremely, uh, extremely optimistic. We're, we're getting uh, baseball as normal, but how do you expect, or what are your thoughts on MLB and handling a shortened season or, you know, trying to fit in as many games as possible, but how do you think they should go about things? The way I look at it is you just take this season as like a one-off that is separate from every other MLB season and just tr treat it as 
um, like a little kind of guinea pig experiment, like treat it as an opportunity to like get weird and try different things. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, like seriously, just blow everything up, right? Like realign the divisions, you know, uh, have teams only play within their own league and, and play every other, you know, team in that league, every other of, of the 14 teams, once each home and away three game series, get to 84 games, you know, change the playoff structure, expand the playoffs. Um, you know, maybe the, the top four finishers in each league get to pick one team from the next four finishers to play in a quote unquote first round of the playoffs and go from there, you know, and have a, a first round three game series entirely uh, in the ballpark of, of one of those top four finishers and then go on to a, a second and third round, you know, maybe don't even, award a world series like maybe create a different trophy for this year and treat it like a tournament you know treat it like a just one-off uh you know fun spectacle because i think that's what people are going to want when baseball returns is entertainment like people are going to be so happy to have baseball come back but the last thing they're going to want to have to think about is how this season compares to others and thinking, well, you know, look, if you win the AL East over an 84 game season, I mean, how does that compare to, you know, the team that won over 162? Because you could see, you know, a team um, overperforming its projections or underperforming them due to injuries or bad luck or, or you know, everybody slumping at once. Um, you could see that impact a lot more over a shorter schedule than over a long one. So, why not just change everything and treat it as, as a one-off weird experiment? And in 2021, get back to the 162 schedule and the World Series and the regular divisions and all that stuff. This is kind of a, you know, a, a unique opportunity to try some different things and test some stuff out that we've all been talking about for a long time. We've all been talking about maybe shortening the regular season, maybe expanding the playoffs, maybe divisional realignment. Um, why not try some of these things now? and give fans just a really unique, entertaining product when baseball does resume, because that is what people are really going to want and need in June or July, whenever we do get baseball back, is entertainment and something that's fun. So that's that's what I'd advocate for. Yeah, no, it's interesting. We had this conversation actually when Andrew and I talked last, and he he's he uh, thinks very similar to you in the sense that let's just, let's get weird. Let's try some new things. Let's add a point system like hockey does let's do you know whatever sure. it is to 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 somehow you know almost handicap what this season is because it's not going to be you're right if we win the whoever wins the AL East there's going to be an asterisk there's going to be a storyline around it if there is a World Series champion is it really going to be a World Series champion like are we all going to think the same about that if it's a shortened season to the to the point where they would have to shorten it coming back that late in the year so yeah there's there's some weird things the only thing I'll say about that is that it's baseball it's an old boys club that's been around forever and, and change is, uh, it's like the Titanic, you know, shifting gears. Um, so I, I can see them being afraid that if, if the fans like it too much, then they're not going to be able to go back to 162. <laughs> and like, now we really have to change things and, you know, blow up everything. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, that's, that's kind of a, one of the routes that they should definitely look into. And, uh, you know, because it's not normal, it's not going to be normal when it gets back, no matter what you try, what you do. Yeah, let's get weird, man. Like, so say they come back and they have like a, you know, really quick spring training 2.0, right? Because everybody's going to be so motivated to get regular season games going because with every game that is being missed right now, 
teams are losing millions of revenue. The league is missing revenue. Players aren't being paid. Like everyone is going to be incredibly financially motivated to get this thing going as soon as possible. Sure. So I'm expecting like a two, two and a half week, three week spring training, right? Yeah. Um, spring training 2.0, that is. It's not enough time for pitchers to get stretched out. Uh, you know, they're not going to be happy about how quickly they have to get ramped up. Uh, you know, you think about some of the spring outings that we see from guys like, you know, in the kind of that second and third week of, of spring training games where they're like, they don't quite have it yet, right? They're still building up and they're still getting the feel for the release point on their curveball or their changeup isn't quite there or whatever. And you'll see, you know, guys who are otherwise like pretty good starters come out of outings after like getting only two outs and, and getting rocked by, you know, a spring training lineup that might have some minor leagues and leaders in it because they just don't have it yet. You might have that happening in regular season games whenever this starts again. So let's get weird, right? Expand the, uh, the, the roster to 30 so that you can, you know, piggyback pitchers in, in an outing or, you know, get weird with openers and stuff like that. Maybe play seven inning games you know, to, to kind of account for the fact that nobody's going to be ready for this season when, when you do restart it and you're going to have this truncated spring training. You know, I, I just think this is such an opportunity to, to experiment with different things. And, you know, a lot of the reasons, you know, I think, I think a, a big reason why we haven't seen a lot of these changes in baseball is not only, as you mentioned, that it's an old boys club and baseball is so resistant to change and progress always, but also that we just haven't seen this stuff in action yet which is why the Atlantic league has been so great. Cause you're starting to see some of these rule changes, some of these experiments in action. You get to actually test them and get results and see what works and what doesn't, you know, if you were just trying to pitch the NBA on Elam's ending, um, just as a concept and abstract, a lot of people go, eh, I don't know. What's that going to look like? But then you run it in the all-star game in the fourth quarter. And everyone says, this is great. <laughs> We'd love to see more of this. So yeah. once you actually see it in action and you test it, you actually have results of that experiment. Uh, you know, I think that can go uh, that can go pretty far towards actually bringing us to a point where people are going to be more accepting of some of these changes. That I think a lot of us, um, you know, who want to see this game progress and evolve and attract younger fans, think are necessary. And I think that there's a couple of things too. Like it's not on the field as far as the gameplay, but we saw in spring training where they kind of opened it up a little bit more for the audio. And some of these guys are getting mic'd up and you're seeing some of the behind the scenes of, you know, conversations on first base, guys at the plate talking about exactly what they're thinking. Like that Rizzo at bat was phenomenal. Um, you know, like that type of thing, you're seeing little tweaks to the game changes. Yes, that's not on the field, but what that is, is, is it, it's an appealing little tweak that, that now you're, you're giving the game a little bit more of a window to, to people who, who are younger, giving more social clips, giving more of, you know, what is today, how things grow today, socially, virally, um, virally, I shouldn't even, I can't, I don't know if I could say that anymore, but the, uh, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, you're, you're tweaking some of these things. So why not experiment? Because to me, like the mic thing do that every game. Like that is gold. We should be doing that no matter what. It's the easiest implementation in the world. Like put a little delay on it. It's fine. And let's, let's mic these guys up because it's, it's uh, amazing content. Yeah. And there's a groundswell of young players in this game, you know, led in large part by guys like Trevor Bauer um, and Tim Anderson who want to see things like that, yep. who want to be mic'd up, you know, and you're right. Some of the spring training at that's when, you know, you're, you're hearing Chris Bryant talk in the box about, you know, what he's looking for and what he might get. And, 
you know, being late on a pitch and, you know, having to run out a foul ball or something and being tired after getting up the first baseline. Like that's, that's something that makes the game a lot more accessible to people. It makes it a lot more interesting. Yeah. Um, human too. It makes it, makes everybody more human when you hear what they're saying. Absolutely. You get to know guys' personalities and, you know, I was like after the, uh, the Astros scandal, which like, by the way, the Houston Astros right now might be the only team in baseball that are okay with everything that's going on. Uh, it really, it really pisses Astros me scandal, off that whole thing. Really, I gotta tell yeah, you, I th- this whole thing with that, with that narrative pisses me off beyond belief because yes, they're so pumped up about this and they are, they're pining for people, for baseball to come back without fans. Like that's so badly. They want that as much distance as they can get with time between them banging trash cans and then back on the field. They're all about it. <laughs> Oh yeah, they are skating here. And, uh, you know, after all that went down, I was thinking like we we must be moving toward the point where the the catcher and pitcher are going to be able to talk to each other. You know, where you're going to put a, an earpiece in in the catcher's helmet and and or you know, and a microphone either in the helmet or at the top of his chest protector. And then the the pitcher is going to have a little Bluetooth earpiece in, and and they're going to be talking to each other, and and you could have the manager talking to the pitcher as well. Like, you know, how long in football has the QB and, and the offensive coordinator been able to to right, communicate? Right. I mean, it's been you know years and years. So it's got to be coming to baseball eventually. And I figured that the Astro scandal is going to push that along. So like maybe you know what this season postponement right now with with COVID is the thing that pushes along some other changes and the implementation of you know, just some other experiments and some other things that a lot of us would like to see in the game. Let's talk about the Blue Jays on the field. Obviously, you guys have, uh, you know, some young stars coming up. When you look at the offense, I mean, it's it's one of those, it's it, it's a lineup that, that when I see, you know, I think it's going to be very good this year. I think last year towards the end, second half of 2019, you could really start to see some of these guys getting more comfortable, the uh, Guerrero Jr., Bichette, uh, Biggio. You've seen these guys get more comfortable in the major leagues and, and you started to see, you know, it actually um, show up on the win column and, and, and these guys fighting all the way to the end of the game. So how do you see the next progression going into 2020 uh, with these young guys? And, and how much does something like this where, you know, we're having a shortened season where, you know, the development stages are really being stunted for some of these young guys. How does that affect what's going on um, in 2020 with the with the Blue Jays and the young guys? Yeah, the Blue Jays are really being hurt, honestly, by the postponement of these games because, you know, a lot of those names that you mentioned, those are players who are very young in their MLB careers and need this experience now. Like you said, need that development now. You know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. learned some very harsh lessons last season about his conditioning, about his preparedness for games, about what he has to do to get the most out of uh, some pretty unbelievable potential and he wasn't able to learn that in the minor leagues because he was just so much better than everybody else but then he got to the majors and realized like uh, i i need to be better and i need to do better before games after games away from the field um in order to be my best on it um and that's something that he learned in game so the blue jays aren't getting that benefit right now you think about a guy like bo bichette who, who stepped into the majors last year and was remarkable right out of the gate had immediate success He's got to swing with a lot of moving pieces and a lot of moving parts. And you got to think that the league, when they get enough video on him and when they start to learn, you know, where he's susceptible and where his weaknesses are at the plate, they're going to start to attack those. And he's going to have to adjust back. That's a process that I was kind of expecting to play out this season. And that's something that Bo Bichette would have learned from at the big league level. He doesn't have that opportunity now. 
So I, yeah, I think the Blue Jays are really being, um, you know, hurt developmentally by, by uh, this uh, postponement. That said, um, whenever games do resume, they will be able to continue to learn things about those three young players, Bichette, Biggio, Guerrero Jr., about some of their outfielders. Lourdes Guerrero Jr. is a guy who's looks great and flashes and recently made the transition to the outfield and looked okay defending out there, but there's still more to learn about him. Teoscar Hernandez is a guy who's had some really, really high peaks in his career and some really deep valleys, and he's been searching for that consistency. Needs the reps to try to figure it out. Randall Gritchuk is a guy who's really working on his plate approach, his two-strike approach, and his discipline, trying to cut down on the strikeouts and you know, increase the walks or at least have some more competitive at-bats he's had in the past. So you know, these are all progressions and steps and, and things that we're trying to learn about these, these Blue Jays hitters that we're not going to see right now. Uh, and you know, with whatever amount of baseball that we get this year, it's going to be something we're going to have to keep a very close eye on. I mean, if Greenwich just plays the Yankees every game, he'll be fine because, I mean, he was destroyed us last year. That, that name just gave me a cringe when you said it. So uh, that guy has been a thorn in our side for sure. And I'm not looking forward to seeing him again um, against the Yankees because there's just some, for some reason, there's these Yankee killers that just, they're, and they're random names usually, and they just stick around and they I always come this. back. Yeah. It's, um, it's just it's one of the, it's one of those things in Yankees history that that does not stop happening. <laughs> um, Grishuk had a 93 OPS plus last season, so I think it was only the Yankees. Really <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah, <laughs> of course. The so when you're looking at those guys, which one do you see? Do you think Bichette's probably? Is, do you think he's the most well-rounded as far as the you know the, those three young guys? Do you think he's got the 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 ability to be the best all around? It's interesting because they're all fairly unique. You know, mm-hmm. Bo Bichette is one of the more confident individuals I've come across in this game at an extremely young age. His approach is very advanced. He has a great two-strike approach. Uh, you know, you'll see him when he's uh, you know early in the count or if he has one strike, takes some really big cuts. And sometimes he'll connect and hit the ball an awfully long way. And sometimes he'll get fooled and he'll, you know, borderline almost fall over uh, swinging in the box. But once he gets to two strikes, uh, cuts down his leg kick, quiets his swing and just battles and has a really good ability to fight off pitchers pitches and to, you know, let the ball kind of get deep and and figure out where it's going to be and then take some tough pitches and then get to something that, that he can hit. His two strike approach is, is really advanced. Um, so I think that's, you know, those are some tools that are going to allow him to be really good uh, as, as an offensive presence in, in MLB for a long time. And, and then, you know, defensively, it's a work in progress at shortstop, but he has come a really long way. And he's, you know, if there's a season, if there was going to be a season, uh, he's going to play every day for the Blue Jays at shortstop and hit leadoff. So it's just, it was going to be fascinating just to continue seeing his development. Kevin Biggio is a guy who has one of the best eyes in baseball, like objectively. I mean, he has an, uh, just elite plate vision, uh, which is almost to his detriment sometimes, um, the, the, the discipline and the approach that he has, because he kept, you know, teams kind of figured out about him last season. Hey, if you throw this guy a first pitch fastball right down the middle, like he's probably going to take it. He is just so patient and disciplined and so, you know, attuned to working long plate appearances. That was something Kevin Biggio had to kind of mm, adjust to last year with being more aggressive and, uh, you know, not getting deep into counts and relying on his plate vision, but 
So he's different in that way. And then Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is a guy who's got all the tools to be an elite offensive talent, um, MVP caliber player uh, in baseball. And, you know, just as I was alluding to earlier, learned some hard lessons last year. And, and when it comes to his conditioning and his routines, and, uh, you know, it's going to be trying to, to, you know, figure that out going forward. So, you know, I, just to answer your question, I can see all of them being really good major leaguers. I think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. probably has the highest ceiling in terms of just the uncommon potential that he has. But, I mean, you know, so far in terms of the, the MLB debuts these guys have had, Bobachet has by far had the most success. Uh, obviously, the the position players are, are probably the talk uh, from, from everybody else's standpoint when you're looking at the uh, Blue Jays from the outside. The pitching staff has definitely had a transformation. Uh, Stroman obviously th- traded away last year. To the Mets, you and I had an interesting conversation last time we spoke about Stroman and you know how there was a just an interesting clubhouse fit with some of the guys that were on that team. Um, Ryu now comes over. That was a surprise for me that that he signed with Toronto. Uh, obviously, been a phenomenal pitcher with the Dodgers. You know, one of those guys who's just a really steady, uh, steady workhorse guy in your rotation. So, what what is the you know the rotation look like uh, with Ryu coming in to lead it now, and uh, and then if you could touch a little bit on Stroman and what that exit looked like. Well, they all start with Stroman. <laughs> what the exit <laughs> looked like, you, you know, you kind of mentioned the you know, the impact they had on the the Blue Jays clubhouse. Yeah, it, it was certainly a motivation in the Blue Jays um, trading him. I think uh, you know the fact that I think Bo Bichette came up like a couple days after Marcus Stroman was traded, you know, like, and I, I don't think it was necessarily a coincidence. And sure. like, I'll, I'll, I'll relay this story. Like on the, the day that Marcus Stroman was traded, the Blue Jays were playing a game. I believe the trade happened either, you know, during the game or immediately after it, or word was kind of getting out that it was happening. And uh, on that day, the Blue Jays did not open their clubhouse. Uh, and I've been covering the team for, I don't know, six, seven years now, and that's the only day they haven't opened their clubhouse. Huh. Uh, and it was because Marcus Stroman had been um, had been uh, notified that he was being <laughs> traded, and uh, they were not letting us into the environment and the scene that was playing out in there. So that kind of gives you an indication of, of you know, the exit was, uh, there was some animosity there. Uh, it, as far as Hunjin Ryu is concerned, I well, mean... Quickly, quickly, the, Stroman, it's not like it was a surprise. I mean, he was chirping on, literally on Twitter before it even happened. Like, the guy was setting himself up for a trade, it seemed like, for months. So, I mean, the, if, if he's just a, you know, a hothead that wants to react to react, it's not like he was surprised that something like that was going to happen. He couldn't have been. Well, yeah, and it feels like a million years ago now, right? Yeah, yeah I do, you know, the... The kind of the some of the things Marcus Stroman was saying on social media about the Blue Jays front office, and you know he, he was very public and right. saying you know they, they don't want to sign me to an extension. You know I'm I'm you know understanding that I'm going to be traded. Like he he knew for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think he just had some things that he wanted to express yeah. <laughs> after it finally had, had happened. Um, but yeah yeah you know and look he really like took away a lot of the Blue Jays leverage in those trade negotiations. Mm-hmm. I coming out and saying they don't want to extend me, you know, because that was kind of what the Blue Jays needed was to say, hey, look, we could always extend Marcus Roman, you know, we could always sign him long term. That was never going to be the case. Um, and it was never something that was going to happen. And Marcus Roman came out very publicly said that. And it was very clear, I think, to everyone in baseball that the Blue Jays are very motivated to trade Marcus Roman. 
partly because he was coming out and saying on Twitter, they want to trade me. Right. Uh, so, you know, all those things considered, the Blue Jays still did pretty well in that deal, it appears. They got, you know, two young pitchers, one in Anthony Kay uh, from the Mets, who is who, had, who made his MLB debut last season and is probably sitting somewhere around six or seven on the, uh, you know, starting pitching depth chart. And it's kind of a polished lefty who I expect to make starts for his team this year. And Simeon Woods Richardson, who's still a teenager, but is starting to pop up on top 100 prospect lists uh, and has a ton of potential and is moving very quickly through the minor leagues. So the Blue Jays did decently well, I'd say, uh, you know, considering they were moving a disgruntled asset and didn't have a ton of leverage. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think they def- he definitely put them in a position that was uh, not of strength for sure. But, you know, what, what they did get, I think, is a complete... It seems like a polar opposite. A guy that comes in does a does a good job every single time he's out there, um, and and can lead a, a pitching staff in Ryu. Right. Yeah. You asked me about Ryu. Um, so look, the Blue Jays were incredibly motivated to add a, a top frontline MLB starting pitcher in free agency. Like they engaged with Garrett Cole. You know, they they were ready to make him an offer. I just don't think Garrett Cole was coming to Toronto. And obviously, he ended up in a pretty good situation in New York with, uh, you know, a, a whole bunch of money in his bank account. Uh, you know, they were engaged on essentially every starting pitcher, uh, you know, on, on the market. Missed out on some guys, um, you know, weren't willing to go to certain, uh, you know, terms and dollars with, with certain pitchers. Some pitchers just didn't want to come to Toronto. Some found better opportunities. Uh, and I think they got to a point where, you know, Hunjin Ryu was one of the final big names available and the final impact arms out there, Blue Jays said, look, we're going to go to a point uh, that other teams won't. And that was four years and $80 million. And it's a risk considering his injury history, considering his age, uh, considering he's going to be moving to a tougher league position, a tougher division to pitch in, uh, you know, to play in front of a, a worse defense than, than we had with the Dodgers. And this is a guy who wears the balls in play a lot. Uh, doesn't strike a ton of guys out. Um, it's gonna it's gonna be tough for him to replicate some of the you know Cy Young worthy numbers that he put up in Los Angeles. But the Blue Jays were just incredibly motivated to get a frontline starter, and they got him in Hunjin Ryu. And and behind him, they also you know remade some of their pitching uh, staff in order to address the fact that the Blue Jays did just not have dependability. In 2019, they used 21 starting pitchers over the course of the season, which is insane. And a lot of those are openers, but a lot of them were also uh, just desperation plays, like Edwin Jackson, who made five starts for the team and had something like an 11 ERA. They turned to uh, a fellow by the name of Ryan Fearbend, who is a left-handed knuckleballer, uh, oh. 34, who hadn't pitched in the majors in you know three or four years. Uh, you know, the Blue Jays were just desperate for pitching. So they went out and acquired Chase Anderson by a trade from Milwaukee and signed Tanner Roark uh, for two years and $24 million. And those aren't sexy names. Those aren't guys that are going to win Cy Young Awards or, or necessarily be all-stars. But they are guys who are going to take the ball every five days. They're guys who have been incredibly durable. The Blue Jays just haven't had that. Uh, and considering, you know, they're relying on Hunjin Ryu atop their rotation and his injury struggles are very well documented. And then Matt Shoemaker also in their rotation, who has a ton of potential and has been great when he's been healthy and on the field. 
but has suffered just such a string of catastrophic injuries from, you know, being hit in the, the head with the line drive to having persistent nerve issues in his forearm that were mysterious and, and nobody could figure out to last season uh, in his fifth start of the year after he had gone off to a terrific beginning of the season. He had an ERA below two uh, tearing his ACL in a rundown. So there is some uncertainty there uh, when it comes to injuries. So the Blue Jays went out and got two inning eaters, durable guys, and Anderson and Roark, uh, who they think are really going to help their rotation. And then beyond those four that I mentioned, Ryu, Anderson, Roark, Shoemaker, they're going to kind of have that fifth spot open to whoever wants to claim it, whether it's Trent Thornton, who is uh, you know a 26-year-old right-hander with a, a bunch of pitches who went pole to pole with, with the Blue Jays last season, mostly by necessity because they had no one else. He had like a five ERA but is somebody that they can dream on if you can kind of figure it out and, and find out how to harness his wide repertoire and find things that are, that are going to work for him consistently. Or, you know, I, I mentioned Anthony Kay. Uh, they signed Shun Yamaguchi out of uh, NPB in Japan, who is one of the better pitchers in, in Japan last season. And they're hoping that, you know, he can transfer his success over there with his split finger fastball, uh, you know, to, to come over to, to MLB and have some success. Or they've got some some interesting young pitchers coming up through uh, through the system, led by Nate Pearson, who uh, you know is setting Twitter on fire with hundred mile an hour fastballs and, and wicked breaking stuff. So you know, the Blue Jays, as much as we talked earlier about what they learned about their hitters last year, this season, whenever it happens and if it happens, you know, the Blue Jays are planning to learn something about their pitchers. Yeah, and I think the the deal for Ryu, even yeah, they may have you know overextended in the years, and it seems like. In this past market, that's what you kind of had to do. You had to overextend yourself to get the guy that you wanted. Um, but you look at the AAV, and it's really not that. It's really not you know out of line when you see what Jay Happ is making at seventeen um, a year. You get a guy like Ryu coming in at, at twenty. It's it's uh, you know yes, maybe you didn't want to go for that fourth year, but at the end of the day, like that's that's a, a, a relatively if he if he can stay on the on the field and and give you um, you know up to 200 innings in a full season, if, if, if that were ever to be the case, uh, then, you know, I think that's a great value for, for a guy like him with, uh, with the type of production that he does have. And the Blue Jays can afford it. You know, yeah. we're looking this year at like a, maybe a 100 to $110 million payroll for this team. And this is a club that, you know, just, you know, three or four years ago was running 165, $170 million payrolls and can clearly afford to do that considering it's a big market team and they got a huge stadium that they sell out when, when the team is good. And, you know, Rogers communications, a very you know big corporate owner. Um, and most of the roster is zero to three year service time guys. Mm-hmm. Obachette, Kevin Biggio, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You know, Lourdes Guerrero Jr. is on a very affordable contract. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez hasn't hit, um, arbitration yet. I mean, they, the majority of their roster is is very cheap and, and very affordable, uh, so they can they can afford to extend themselves for a guy like Ryu. And like they aren't expecting you know four seasons of 200 innings from him. You know, I think if they got four seasons of 130 innings each season at something close to you know the ERA and, and peripherals that that he's shown. Uh, in recent years with the Dodgers when he's been healthy, I think the Blue Jays will be more than happy paying what they did for that. It's crazy how the numbers have changed. 130 innings, <laughs> looking at that as a, as a good value now for, for $20 million a year. That's crazy. Um, 
before before we wrap up and I uh, get your your kind of projections where you think this team's going to land here, let's uh, let's just touch on some quickly some some uh, former Yankees that I, I know people might be interested about: Brandon Drury, Billy McKinney, guys that are still with the. Um, with the Toronto Blue Jays system, uh, McKinney potentially going out for one of those outfield spots. I know the outfield is is uh, kind of a, an uncertain uh, lay right this right now with a, with a bunch of guys vying for different spots, um, but but has options, so there's uh, potential there. And then Brandon Drury, we know has just been you know struggling ever since he had those those issues with the tunnel vision and migraines and things like that. So if you give us an update on those guys, be be good. <laughs> yeah, uh, Brandon Drury played a lot for the Blue Jays last season. Uh, you know, I think he was up around 450 plate appearances. So like, a you know, was on the field and uh, just not performing. It's the thing, you know, he just did not hit well, uh, defended well. I, I, I thought he was great at third base, honestly, which is where he was playing um, before Vladimir Guerrero Jr. got to the, uh, to the majors. He kind of kept that, that spot warm for him early in the season. I thought he flashed some great defense. And then when Vlad got up, Drury kind of moved around uh, and played a little bit everywhere. Like I remember games where you know he played he played at shortstop, he played in left and right, he was playing second, he would play first. Like they just kind of used him everywhere. So he provided some some utility that way. Uh, it just was not a successful offensive season for him. Seventy OPS plus over four hundred and forty seven play appearances, uh, not what you want. But you know he is you know a lot of teams, the Yankees included, have seen the potential that he has, um, you know, if this guy could put it together and as you mentioned, get past some of the physical ailments that have held him back in the past, which, you know, include migraines and vision issues and, you know, some, some issues that maybe, you know, brain injury hasn't always brought up to, to his team and that he's just been, you know, content to play through. Cause he's just kind of that kind of guy, just put my head down and, and keep working and, and don't complain. Um, you know, sometimes that can be to a player's detriment. So if he gets healthy and he kind of figures out what he's doing at, at the plate, this is a hard worker and, and a guy with some potential. So we, we've seen players figure it out at, you know, the age of 28, 29. You know, Josh Donaldson was a quad A guy at one point. He got a lot of potential. He couldn't put it together. And people kind of were like, oh, man, I guess it's just not going to happen for him. And then all of a sudden he becomes an MVP. So you never write a player off. The brand sure. is going to continue to get opportunities on this team uh, in, in 2020 or whatever 2020 ends up being. I, you know, at going through spring, you know, before the postponement and everything, I had him on my opening day roster when I was projecting it for the Blue Jays. I figured he was going to be there. He's going to have opportunities to play, but, you know, at a certain point, he's going to have to show something. And Billy McKinney's a guy who, uh, you know, as you guys know, hard worker, another guy who you can kind of see that potential, right? Like there's a reason why he was a first-round pick, you know, like left-handed outfielder, Good, uh, good defender, athletic, has some pop. Uh, the on-base just hasn't really been there for him in the majors. He's struck out a lot, uh, and a lot of players struggle to kind of make that transition uh, to a, a higher level of, of pitching in the minors when they you know, have some reasonably impressive minor league numbers, as, uh, as McKinney does. You know, he's, he's got an 834 OPS at, at AAA over 167 games. So, you know, that's strong. And, and the Blue Jays will continue trying to see if they have something there with him. He's just kind of the, you know, the, the he's kind of the outside looking in of a, a outfield log jam right now at the Blue Jays. They got Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in left, Teoscar Hernandez in center, and uh, Randall Gritchuk in right. Actually, this year it'll probably be Randall Gritchuk in center. 
and Teoscar Hernandez and right. Either way, those are the three guys that are going to get the majority of the outfield playing time. And beyond them, there are two outfielders and Derek Fisher and Anthony Alford who are out of options. Uh, and so the, the Blue Jays, you know, likely with one or both of them, uh, carry them into the regular season so that they don't have to expose them to waivers. You know, Derek Fisher, I think, is on the team. And Anthony Alford, it, you know, he was – Blue Jays really trying to learn something about him this spring and see if they're going to carry him into the season or expose him to waivers. But either way, those two guys are ahead of, of McKinney, who has options. And when you're in that position, a lot of the time you can end up uh, – you know, the, the team's just going to utilize those in order to preserve its depth. Billy McKinney kind of rode the, the shuttle between AAA Buffalo and Toronto last season a lot. He was up and down a lot. I would expect that'll be the case again in, in 2020. It's just the position that he's in. But yeah, two interesting guys. And, you know, and when you look back at that Jay Hop deal, I think, uh, you know, the, the Yankees certainly got the better of it initially. And I know Hop's had his, his struggles recently, but uh, the Blue Jays really could have used a pitcher like Hop in, in the last couple of years, and they didn't have him. Hey man, Hap's looking like Cy Young in the, the you know first part of spring training this year. So I think we got, you know, we got a guy now that uh, that's super motivated. <laughs> I don't even know what that trade looks like with him uh, at this point. He's he's an interesting guy too. And you talked about service time even earlier. But you know what's going to happen now with all of these guys and the incentives and and how um, you know the kicker for a third year on his option. I think it was 160 innings. So all of these now are going to be on you know, percentage, uh, tickers, like, you know, what are we doing with that? It's going to be a whole other animal that, that baseball is going to have to deal with. But, um, yeah, no, interesting. I those... need like a, a new CBA just for <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. With everything that, that has that just, cause it really does impact everything. Right? It does. It's service time, super two yeah. options, bonuses, mm-hmm. incentives. I mean, it, 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 it impacts so many things that you almost need to just draft a fresh CBA for this season only, and then return to the other one for, for 2021. I mean, they have eight weeks now to get on Microsoft Teams or, or uh, Slack or whatever they want, you know, all these guys, and just figure something out. You know, we got some time here where everybody's at home. Let's just figure that out first <laughs> for a little while, anticipate, you know, so a couple different start dates, and let's just get this going. You know, we should, we, we can do this. I know it. Um, you know, we have no idea what's going to happen this season, obviously. So I'm not even going to ask, you know, who you think is going to win, because to me, it's going to be a, a crapshoot almost, uh, especially if it's such a shortened season, but more of kind of a broad stroke question. How, how, how far off do you think the Blue Jays are from becoming a legit contender with, you know, with all the young talent? And when do you think this is really going to come to fruition and they're going to be, um, you know, a major uh, a major problem in the AL East because I mean I don't think anybody really sees it for this year necessarily unless there's you know that tournament style crapshoot where they get really hot because that could happen. But uh, playing out over you know a full season, 162 games, how do you uh, how how far off do you think this team could be? Yeah, you know, in a in a pre-COVID nineteen <laughs> world, I uh, I had the the Blue Jays like somewhere around 78 to 82 wins this season. Kind of depending on health and depending on luck and, and, you know, how guys progress. So, you know, that's obviously, uh, you know, not going to get it done in any division, but especially not in, in the American League East. That would still also be a dramatic improvement over where the Blue Jays were um, in 2019. And that's, so I was expecting this to kind of be a bridge year to something closer to contention in 2021. Um, as some of the young players in the system continue to, to build their way up and as the Blue Jays continue to learn things about, young players who've already made their MLB debuts and continue to look for opportunities to um, trade for win now talent and sign win now talent. I mean, that was the big thing. The Hunjin Ryu signing indicated 
is that the Blue Jays are, you know, willing to acquire players that can be very impactful in the near term and to pay, uh, you know, a financial cost to that in free agency or, and I know they would be willing to do this as well if the right opportunity presented itself, pay a prospect cost through trade. So I expected 2020 to be a bit of a bridge year to 2021 when I expected the Blue Jays to be, um, you know, kind of going for it, really, and, and win now and trying to, uh, you know, make some, trying to basically be a winner in the early years of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette's service time and Kevin Biggio and Nate Pearson uh, and really maximize what you can do when you have players like that providing so much surplus value. Now, this the way this season is playing out or how it will play out, that obviously puts everything into flux and that puts everything um, into question and that's going to change things a lot for this team. So it's kind of, it's, it's hard to say like whether that sets the Blue Jays back or how much it sets them back or, you know, what things are going to look like on, on the other end of it. But, uh, you know, that, that was what I was expecting and it's going to be very interesting just to see, you know, what the challenges of, of this year do to impact when this team can win again and contend again. Uh, a lot of us were expecting it to be 2021. We'll see how this plays out. All right, Arden, where can everybody follow you and uh, and keep up on what's happening with the Blue Jays uh, on Twitter? Uh, Twitter is just my name, Arden Zwelling, uh, and sportsnet.ca is where you can you know get all the Blue Jays coverage. Myself and uh, Shai Davidi and Ben Nicholson-Smith and my colleagues who cover the team along with me at sportsnet.ca and uh, you know, obviously, sports that broadcast the Blue Jays whenever there are games to broadcast, <laughs> we'll be there on television and radio. And the, the podcast is at the letters that uh, Ben and Shai collaborate with me on. That's at sportsnet.ca. So, uh, you know, it's all platforms coverage of uh, a game that's not being played right now. <laughs> Beautiful. And hopefully, you know, I, when I when I talk uh, about the different guys that cover the sports or the, the different teams, you're one of the guys I want to drink a beer with. Like, I could see us having a beer and uh, and enjoying some baseball talk. So hopefully when the Blue Jays, if the Blue Jays play the Yankees somewhere in the Bronx or somewhere in, somewhere on a baseball field that you and I can get within six feet of each other and uh, share a beer at some point. So um, <laughs> appreciate uh, it. I'd be happy to, to bump <laughs> elbows with you anytime. <laughs> All right, man. Take care of yourself, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Be well. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.